Welcome to the Focus Forward Business Podcast from SturdyMcKee.com. So welcome, and thank you for listening or watching the Focus Forward Business Podcast. I'm Sturdy McKee, a business coach and advisor and your host. I'm very happy today to have Dr. Garner here, Dr. Ginger Garner, with us on the Focus Forward Business Podcast. Dr. Garner is based in North Carolina and is a, a physical therapist, certified athletic trainer, professional yoga therapist, and is board certified in lifestyle medicine. She's also the CEO and founder of the Living Well Institute, which educates providers on the root causes of disease, pain, and disability so they can better help their patients. And she is also the owner of Udamamia, private practice physical therapy clinic in Greensboro. Thank you very much for being here, Dr. Garner. Thanks for having me, Sturdy. I appreciate I hope, it. I yeah, hope I got everything right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. As, um, as entrepreneurs go, we have, you know, lots of interests and lots of uh, balls in the air. And um, for me, it's a good balance. Cool. Very, very good. So will you please tell our listeners a bit, a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I think if I start with what my original, you know, kind of what lit my fire originally mm-hmm. to do this, um, is a a deep curiosity to understand how things work under the surface. So, you know, when I went to PT school, it, I was only in PT school, mm, not even a year before I was questioning why there wasn't any health promotion, prevention, public health education. And that was in the mid nineties. And I was just frankly told that's not what PTs do, period. And um, that burst my bubble. <laughs> so I went to my advisor in the department who I just revere. She's wonderful. And she said, don't pay any attention to that. We'll get you into the School of Public Health. Obviously, we have nothing to offer in the way of health promotion, you know, in PT. So um, hopefully you'll change that. So I went to the School of Public Health and kept my place in PT school. And um, that kind of informed every decision I made since then. So I guess at heart, I'm an advocate for people to have access to a well-rounded holistic model of healthcare, um, which also then turns me into an activist, really, (laughs) because an advocate would talk about it, you know, maybe volunteer a little bit, but the activist gets out and pounds the pavement a little bit. So that that actually, you know, drove me to to run for public office um, a few years ago. Because I do believe that everybody um, has a, a basic right to affordable, accessible health care that treats everyone uh, fairly and equally. So then by training, I guess that's that's my heart story. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, the more dry, academic, boring side would be, yes, so I finished my degree, although at some points I thought about quitting PT. I already had my license in athletic training prior to that because mm-hmm. um, I needed to pick something that um, seemed to be a good kind of segue, you know, into PT. So exercise science, physiology, all of that was intriguing right. to me. I could be on the go and working with athletes and doing, you know, emergency uh, based sports medicine. And um, that was that all that was thrilling. But PT was, you know, my ultimate goal. So I, I um, got my degree in, you know, athletic training and, and physical therapy, and then it didn't take too long before I realized that um, 
what I had learned to that point wasn't really helping me with my chronic pain patients because I took a job in an underserved area that unbeknownst to me would become one of the major epi epicenters for the opioid crisis oh, in the okay. country. So all of a sudden I had all these people flooding my schedule in chronic pain. And I lived in a far flung region because it was underserved um, in North Carolina where there had never been a PT clinic, um, you know, in particular areas of that county, we had one, that's it. And our county was two and a half hours kind of wide. So it was, wow. it was big. Okay. So I, I knew that, um, you know, for me, yoga was important personally for my own self-care, but it hadn't been something that while I was in PT school that I necessarily uh, thought about, you know, where the rubber meets the road, really putting it into practice. So I started to do that and patients began to get better. But I also realized that on the side, I was kind of moonlighting with like yoga teacher trainings and, you know, learning, mm -hmm. learning as much as I could, but I'd come back from trainings and go, okay, there was not a shred of evidence <laughs> they were teaching. And I would spend a lot of my time doing pro bono, good Samaritan, let me help you with your SI joint because it's, you can't get off the floor um, because you're in so much pain, you know, from what's happening here. So I ended up spending a lot of my time doing that and realizing that we needed something that bridged the gap between yoga that was being taught in gyms and stuff all over the place, you know, back in the 90s and earlier. And what I was doing and how I was using yoga. And I thought certainly somebody is out there that has already started a program and I'd love to just get involved. And uh, it turns out there wasn't one. <laughs> so okay. I started, that's where I started um, living well. And I operated as Professional Yoga Therapy Institute for 20 years before last year, um, until last year, mm -hmm. when the pandemic hit, I shifted everything that I was doing, my structure and my business, everything completely changed. And it became Living Well Institute because it needed to, for me, represent um, a larger section of society which may misunderstand yoga. Uh, you know, yoga, yoga's me too moment and it's reckoning. And there's a lot of things that are still taught that are not safe with yoga and yoga tends to be um in the past guru based and driven and that right. and they had to come to terms with all of that and i felt like the lifestyle medicine that i had been teaching patients and providers for two decades already was uh for me getting back to my heart story of why i got into this to begin with to be have it be health promotion oriented and public health oriented that i could reach a, a wider number of people in offering the the yoga part you know integrative medicine via yoga but then the whole lifestyle model as well so in kind of in a nutshell that's my heart story and the more dry <laughs> business side of the story um, but that led me to get training in Ayurveda, Pilates, you know, yoga, yoga therapy. I ended up writing my first book uh, titled Medical Therapeutic Yoga as a way to bridge that gap between what was happening with yoga teachers and then what we were doing in healthcare, which was there's a big chasm in between, you know, of what happens right, there. Right, right, right. But looking but at that with a clinical yeah. lens. Right, right. Yeah. So, yes, uh, you could say... <laughs> 
as a result, I try to not take myself too seriously at all times. I find that to be a good philosophy and policy to, to have. So um, that's what makes medical therapeutic yoga as a textbook so darn dry. Uh, and boring because it's just the science. It's like, here's the pose, here's how to recalibrate it. Let's make it safe for the hip and the pelvis. I tend to focus on that a lot um, because that's a vulnerable area, particularly in women's health, which is mostly what I see. So that's, yeah, that's the less, you know, exciting uh, part is just focusing on the science. But for me, I see patients every day in my clinic and they get better. They've gotten better for 20 years using 20 plus years now using that more, um, it's more of a, a, a linear approach using, you know, integrative and lifestyle medicine, but just those two terms cover a broad range of possible sure. um, interventions, you know, and treatments that that I can offer. So you kind of told us about your latest iteration of the, you know, of the business, but let's go back to the beginning. What, why did you, and how did you get started in your first business? And what was that? In you strike out on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I think is probably a story that is commonly shared amongst anyone who branches out on their own. I mean, it may, it may resonate with you too, because I know I'm not the only one to feel this way. When I took that job in an underserved area, um, like many, I had school loans. I needed to, you know, work those off. I needed to put my head down and, and you know, take that first job and, and get to work. And I did that. It wasn't too long, about nine months into me working because I had some forgivable loans also for working in an underserved area that I could not take what was happening in the practice anymore, um, which was less about the holistic approach that I wanted, the, the health promotion wellness approach and more of a um, follow the protocol, follow the recipe, um, pack as many patients as you can in a day and and uh, completely burn the therapist out, you know, and maybe not even get the patient better at the same time. So I ended up quitting. I I agreed to disagree with my first employer on many points, um, some of what I mentioned just now, and I left. I went promptly down to the other end of the county and offered myself up, here I am, to start a PT practice in an area that there had never been one. Um, once that happened, and I also was in a 12,000 square foot facility that was brand new at the time, um, I was teaching all kinds of stuff, all kinds of aerobics, yoga, Pilates, you name it. I was teaching all these health promotion and wellness classes, um, talking to the gym members about nutrition, and I was getting to practice PT. It was ideal you know, for a little while. So I opened, once I opened the practice on that end of the county for another facility, that got my feet wet and how, you know, how that should look, how um, things should be run. And um, it wasn't too long before in that practice, the same thing happened. What you're doing is too specific. Yes, your patients are getting better, but if you're out, no one knows how to do this yoga thing you're doing with patients. And um, so I ended up striking out on my own after that because it was follow the recipe. Doesn't matter if the patients get better, but churn out your 20 patients a day or get out. And I said, okay, I'll leave. 
I'm out. Okay. So I, that's when I totally made the leap, which was not long after getting out of school, which was terrifying. And, and you had mentioned too, launching out, you know, heading out on your own. Yeah, I did that a little early too. <laughs> yeah. Not that far out of school was a um, really daunting prospect, yeah. especially having, having it happen in that way where the area I was in, um, how do I put this? The area that I was in almost felt like a time warp, like it was 10, 20 years behind. So for me to come busting in there, you know, um, and talk about wellness programs and, and, you know, health promotion programs in a PT practice, they were like, whoa, same thing my PT school said two or three years ago, right? right Actually, right. that would have been like four years ago when um, back in the mid 90s when I said, hey, where's all the health promotion stuff? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I got the same attitude, you know, from a very well uh, loved and known and respected school as well as in you know in the two PT practices that I was working for so that's kind of how I, I I broke out on my own because I had to I didn't have a choice so I started um, the first gosh I guess it was pretty early on then there wasn't a whole lot of PTs opening yoga studios you know and offering all of that in addition to you know a more progressive model of PT practice but that's what I did. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, I think your story does resonate. That's a lot of a lot of people leave for those very same reasons or similar yeah. reasons to kind of get. Yeah, to, to I did point. learn, you know, mm -hmm. something um, from them telling me, "Oh, what you're doing is, you know, is working, but it's too high maintenance. We can't recreate it." Um, that made that kind of saddled me with a, a second passion when I left to start the practice which is to teach other healthcare providers how to do what I was doing, you know, right. because if my, uh, if my colleagues couldn't recreate, and that's a valid concern, if they can't recreate what I'm doing, if I'm not there, then, well, I need to teach. And I've always mm -hmm. loved to teach. So I started the Institute at the same time. I <laughs> started my private practice, Okay. you know, I, um, I think entrepreneurs tend to do that a little bit. Would you have done anything? Would you have done it any differently looking back? I think that if I could talk to my younger self, I would have just looked myself square in the eye and said, believe in what you're doing. Because when you have everybody from all corners of the ring telling you you can't, which had been the director of the PT school, it had been the owner of the first practice, it had been the owner of the second practice, all telling me I can't. And, um, and I think about half of me believed that. I'd say, no, stand your ground, stand your yeah. ground. Yeah, I don't know. The I can'ts make, make me more determined in <laughs> 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 just being stubborn. But um, I think that's way. also a difference in the way, like the gender context and the way um, children can be raised. Sure. Um, is that girls are often raised to just make everybody happy. Just smooth it all over. Don't, don't mm -hmm. rock the boat, you know? And if you do, you know, be ready for the backlash, oh. right? We see that in the press all the time. And that took me a while to figure out that some people, because you're assertive and you're a female are just never going to like you. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say my, it wasn't for lack of trying on my parents' part. <laughs> 
to get, <laughs> to get to be more agreeable. Um, but, but yeah, that was, yeah, not something I ever gave up on, I guess. Um, I think that's great that, you know, boys when they're raised um, or whether it is just encoded in them tend to believe in what they're doing and they don't take no for an answer. And so it took me a while to kind of take on that um, that courage and to, to actually believe that I could since, um, you know, social conditioning as a female would have you believe that you can't or you shouldn't. Well, and as an entrepreneur, as a founder, you hear that from all sides. I mean, people that, you know, regardless of, of background and, and how we were raised and stuff, we still hear that from everybody because it's something you know, if you're creating something that doesn't yet exist, people will tell you it can't be done until it's done. And then they'll, you know, then they get behind you and tell you how, how remarkable that is, right? Um, I mean, we see that all around us yeah. as well. And but The funny thing about it is that that point of pushback that you get and a final mm -hmm. acceptance might be 20 years or maybe after you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> How many, how many starving yeah. artists are, right? Right. Created. When somebody says, oh, yeah. I, I love what you're doing, you know, and they kind of view it as something that just is like overnight, like all of a sudden you're really, you have this whole program and you're, yes. you're, you're doing it, you're making it happen. I'm like, yeah, it was like a 20 year overnight success. That's your, that's yes. Um, scaling up, Vern Harnish mentions that he quotes Steve Jobs saying, it's amazing how many overnight successes happen after 20 years. <laughs> so you're, you're I feel encouraged by that. Yeah. yeah, but it is. It's surprising how, you know, when you really look back on so many of these things that suddenly get adoption or turn a corner or are wildly successful, when you really dig, it, it, it wasn't, you know, it was anything but overnight. You know, it was decades of work, years of work on the part of people who yeah. believed and kept getting told no. Um, so, no, I, I, you know, congratulate you and I'm, I'm kind of in awe of it too so awesome awesome stuff um so let's go to this one because you know a lot of business owners kind of the same similar point of what you were just talking about a lot of us you know we're out there on our own um they feel like they're alone they feel like they're on an island if you will and one of the uh, that's one of the advantages I get I get to see behind the curtain I know that everybody's struggling and dealing with different challenges the only real question is what challenge today how big is it going to be what's coming down the pipe um, but what challenges are you currently facing and how are you planning and working on overcoming them I think to talk about what's current we can't not include the pandemic <laughs> as we were talking about that before you know the right. podcast of one of the first things that come to my mind and i think this is the perpetual cultural conditioning and struggle that women are faced mm -hmm. with is um when someone simply says lean in <laughs> and i'm all for it i'm ready i'm leaning in i'm doing it but there's like 12 hurdles that I have to jump right. and that are not on, you know, like in the male <laughs> perspective, like in their track lane, they just run, you know, they just go. And my track lane is, um, I had three kids. I was pregnant and gave birth three times while I was starting living well. 
I opened my first practice while I was raising those kids um, and doing living well. I wrote my first book. I went and got a doctorate all while I was raising them. And now they're 15, 13, and nine. So they're still far from grown. Mm -hmm. So I think when you throw in COVID and the pandemic, and then you realize, yep, and then there's quarantine. (laughs) There's quarantine. And prior to the pandemic, most of the revenue that came into my business as an educator and as a practitioner came through in-person care and traveling. And it all went away overnight. So when you've got three kids to raise and fund and boys, you know, and girls, they're all expensive. And then non-binary, we're all expensive, all of us. <laughs> but when, um, you know, like I'm feeding two teenage boys, holy cow, like they eat, you know, more. So, th- so the bills keep coming and all of a sudden the revenue goes, can't travel, you know, can't necessarily see in person. Um, and even if I am open, are people going to show up? So the pandemic right. threw everything that I thought I knew about running these two businesses into, you know, disarray. Case in point, I was sitting here at this desk that, what was it, the second week in May when the country started to shut down, Uh when the world started to shut down. And um, we were trying to make a safety call um, on, we had to make a safety call several days before my live class was to occur. So it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, class. It far, yeah, it was an extended in-person weekend training class. For clinical. In person in California. Yeah. On the East Coast, got to go to the West Coast. Got to make, you know, give people plenty, a wide berth to right. cancel airlines. And the airlines were starting to say, you can, you know, you can, uh, you can do that. You can cancel your flight and, and have no penalty and just move it. And so um, we had decided that at that time, because the nature of things kind of snowballed all of a sudden, people were already on their way. So we couldn't literally, when the country started to actually shut down, we couldn't change those plans. People were on, the, on their way. And so I went, I got on the plane. We quarantined. We, uh-huh. you know, did everything that we were supposed to do uh, with precautions, and um, it ended up being a very lovely, kind of insulated from the world last retreat, last continuing education course, where I think it was it was life altering for me, and I think it was for many many people in the room. Uh-huh. But on the way back. Um, I knew things were shutting down. I knew things were going to change. And maybe for a very long time, we had no idea. And so on the flight back from California, where I did not get COVID, but I was flying out of a hot zone, to the time I landed, the wheels touched down in North Carolina, I devised a new plan for what I was going to do. And so I hit the ground, literally (laughs) running (laughs) when I got back here to um, completely revamp websites. I shut my practice down. And ended up doing it for nearly three months because I already mm-hmm. had to quarantine from coming out of the hot zone. So things were, you know, they were they were touch and go. But um, within weeks, things began to turn around. So I think that my greatest challenge right now is to figure out 
what's going to work for the future. I still think we have a giant question mark hanging over the pandemic. We don't know what's going to happen. So that leaves sure. business owners have, who have operated in these more traditional models, um, you know, scrambling for what we're going to do. And there's so much noise. You know, there's so much noise <laughs> online. Yes, there is. Right? Like I in hope so someone many arenas, but yes. is helped by this podcast today, but someone, we could just say it's all, you know, it's all part of the noise, um, but we genuinely want to get through and help people. So I think that, yes, the pandemic, yes, homeschooling three kids while still trying to, to run a business. And you may have heard one of them just streak to, through the house shouting a second ago, but you know, <laughs> the struggle is real. <laughs> That's where the mindfulness comes in. Um to keep ourselves organized, to use and manage our time efficiently while knowing now we have to kind of quasi homeschool kids. And um, we lost a family member to COVID last month. It's just things have been heavy and dark for a lot of people. So I'm trying yeah. to keep the hope and stay to kind of plan tight and run loose, you know, in all this. Well, I like that. So, um, that, that's another common challenge a lot of people are dealing with is, you know, being pulled in all directions, not not necessarily not having enough time, but not knowing where to spend it or, you know, manage it effectively. What what tips or tricks do you have that have worked out for you um, to be able to maintain this and to juggle all the things that you have going on? Well, um, take, for example, there's, I've been, had two well, three super busy times in my life. Yes, when I was getting the company and the private practice started and I had two kids in diapers and one with special needs and in urgent need of heart surgery. That's one really super, you know, critical time I think back to in my life. Um, the second was when I was doing my doctorate, writing my book, still had my clinical practice, still running the CE company. Um, and then I needed major hip surgery and one of my sons was diagnosed with autism like all at the same time and then the third su super busy part um that's why i try to keep a sense of humor about everything don't take yourself too seriously oscar wilde said i stick to that um the third is when i decided to run for state senate mm -hmm. maintain my continuing ed company and my teaching schedule maintain my practice and the kids were, you know, still, still little, right? right. Um, the strategies that I use to absolutely not just um, stay sane <laughs> and survive, but to have a measure of uh, a quality of life, because any one of those three scenarios um, can throw, you know, you into a panic attack just thinking about everything sure. you have to maintain and then you're supposed to like maintain your self-care and fitness on top of all that other stuff like uh, you know wth or whatever you want to you know acronym you want to put in my there. 11 year old says well that's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my 13 year old um yeah the sarcasm well placed can be a good thing yeah. um is to not take on more than this is getting granular um when i talk about time management and efficiency instead yeah. of doing you know i can talk about broad sweeping talk topics of efficiency and time management organization your infrastructure um, clearly define what you're doing which is important know who you're targeting who are you trying to talk to otherwise you will 
commit yourself to all kinds of things and then you won't achieve any of your goals. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. I've been there. I understand it. I get it. So I do think those things are important, but they're not specific. Mm. So one of the most specific things that I would have someone think about in, in respect with respect to time management is, you know, after you've organized and after you've clearly defined what you're doing and after you have clearly defined your goals even is to not take on any more than um, three major tasks a day, you know, at an hour and a half each. So I take breaks in between those. I define my major three tasks for the day. I don't go beyond that. So I separate my clinic days out, my patient care days, mm -hmm. because that to me provides the integrity and the experience, continued experience that I need to be able to teach CE, you know, to be able to teach continuing education is to keep my hands in practice. Um, and the other thing I think people need to do in, in, in addition to chunking it, you know, chunking it out, scaffold mm -hmm. your work so that you can take it in bite-sized bite pieces. Because um, in addition to filming, I've filmed over 100 hours of new content since COVID, since uh, March of last year. Yeah, yeah. And in order to be able to do that, I need to know when I'm most productive, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if you can define when you're most productive, is it in the morning, is it in the evening, that will do the most for you as an individual to help you work you know, to use a cliche, work smarter, not harder. I have a little mathematical equation that I use to determine um, how many units of, of productivity I'm going to engage in per week. And when okay. I started using this mathematical model that chunks my time out into those hour and a half uh, units, I actually went from being less productive and working as much as 12 hours a day mm -hmm. to working six to eight hours a day and my productivity units nearly doubled just from understanding how to scaffold my time and to get up and get going in the morning, which I've always been a morning person. That's not a difficult thing. Not mm -hmm. saying everybody needs to be morning people <laughs> need to be morning right. people. Right. <laughs> I gave birth to someone and he's a vampire. I'm, I'm sure of it. <laughs> he does everything, you know, productive at night, but that was, that's what I would say, you know, whatever, there's other models for productivity and time management, but find sure. a model, find what works. And I think that would really help people a lot, entrepreneurs a lot, not to think, don't think that you've got to put in 12 hours. You don't have to, you can, I did it for years. Mm -hmm. um, thinking that busy is better, almost glorifying busy. Yes, I'm so busy. Well, who cares? You know, who cares? <laughs> Especially, you know, when, when we have hundreds of thousands of people and people we love and our family members are, are, are dying. I don't really care how productive I am anymore. What I care about is connection. Um, and so I manage my schedule so that I can connect meaningfully with people and I don't miss any, you know, um, any of that time, any of that time we have left because who was it that said you have less time than you think? Is it Confucius? I don't know. Yeah. One of those wise people yeah, said but you have less time than you think. Might even have been, you know, a, a Buddhist uh, quote. I'm not sure. Um, but I do believe in that. So. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I think, your points incredibly well taken too because the when when we are working long long hours we're generally becoming less and less productive at some point in that time 
right? So focusing on, on things that are going to get you the return is uh, that's great advice. And then chunking the time. I, I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and if someone has, um, and this may sound so obvious, but you know, to me early on, it wasn't, that's how I ended up committing myself to a lot of things that never helped me reach my goal of mm -hmm. connecting with people and helping people. Um, and that is to, if you're pressed financially and you're just getting started, you've got to focus on what's going to bring in the income, you know, and bring in the revenue for you. And I think sometimes, especially in healing professions like physical therapy, we forget that. Mm -hmm. I remember taking my first job and going, I can't believe they pay me to do this. You know, <laughs> I don't even notice really the pay. It's really about loving how much I'm doing, you know, how much um, I love what I'm doing. Right. But, and that became a, a big stumbling block and disservice to me, um, especially again, to go back to the gender context of being a female, we're taught to nurture and caretake and don't worry about the money. The money will follow. Well, no, it, it won't. <laughs> I, yes, I yeah, um, I've been down that road too. Yes, take 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 care of the money side. You have to, sure. yeah, you yeah. have to, and and it became it did not become important to me that I had that stability um, until I had children and wanted kids, right. to be able to provide for them. Until then, it was like, oh, I'll volunteer for this and I'll do that. Yep, I'll right. do that for free, no problem, whatever. And then it's like, well, I I have to keep people alive. You know, not just myself, you know, I can live off oatmeal and carrots, but they need more than that, you know. Well, that's another great point. I, I did this when, you know, you're having to have the tough conversations, you're having to say no to things, you have to really prioritize or figure out what's next. Um, I actually heard this from somebody else, but I, I, did the, I did this, I put a picture of my family and kids right there facing me on the desk, and that was the reminder of every decision I make, I need to know whether that's good for them or not. Yeah. And, and that, that will get you to stop over committing to things that are useful very, very quickly. I yep, have to show you. everybody this then. <laughs> this is what my youngest made for me like three years ago and it's still in mint condition and a little <laughs> bracelet and here's their little, uh, you know, silhouette. their yeah. little, yep, their little cameos or little silhouettes. Yeah. And I keep that right there. It's, it's um, important to me. And on the other side of my desk, I keep quotes that will continue to fuel my original passion and my heart story, which is, well, I have one right here on this side of my desk. Um, I have a whole stack of these quotes, mm -hmm. big stack. Every time I read something that's really meaningful to me or that is profound to me, I write it down. And you know, writing stuff down takes more time than typing. So you really mm -hmm. can commit mm -hmm. stuff, you know, if you will write it down yeah. to memory, you can commit it better to memory. So this is a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. in his letter from the Birmingham jail, mm -hmm. which is a simple one. Um, Injustice anywhere affects justice everywhere. That's a great one. And in healthcare, we are facing if if we can't see it now, then we're all blind, you know, to see <laughs> what kind of inequity and yeah. um, unfairness and just sometimes complete negligence we have in the healthcare system that people can't get what they need or they go bankrupt over not being able to afford it. Um, so this, this keeps me on the straight and narrow, you know, keeps me accountable. Well, that's great. Yeah. And COVID's brought that into razor sharp mm -hmm. focus for so many. Yeah. Um, 
you mentioned Confucius earlier, another quote for the entrepreneurs and around the time management thing is the, the person who chases two rabbits catches neither. So, <laughs> so you focus on your goal, pursue the one goal and uh, listen to Kwanzaa. That's, that's yeah. it. Cool. So yeah. what uh, you've, you've given us so much already, but I'm gonna ask you one more kind of big question here. What's the biggest thing you've learned more recently that you wish you had known 10, 15 years ago? Well, I think we touched on it when we were talking just before this podcast. When I was in PT school, oh, I had rose-colored glasses on, you know, this is great. Um, I went to one of the best PT schools in the country, and, and I felt proud of that. I got in, you know, it was, mm -hmm. it was so hard to get in here. Um, then I get in, and I'm immediately disenchanted and disillusioned, and I'm thinking about quitting, and like, why am I here? They're not teaching me what I thought. I was learning lots of great stuff, but it wasn't the piece that we know now to be probably more important than the curative side is prevention, you know, changing lifestyle choices, changing people's behaviors, really connecting with them. And so I wish that because PT school didn't give us the opportunity of any marketing degree or any MBA or masters of public health or anything. And a lot of PT schools do that now, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think then I, I wish I, I could have had more confidence to stay on that, like you mentioned, having that one goal, because that was always my one goal. Um, and to pursue as much training like you have also in business. And like I've tried my best to pursue with public health and integrative, you know, which is part of that's integrative and lifestyle medicine. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I would have pursued a little bit harder the notion of you know getting that second degree in public health um so if you're out there you're pt or um you know an entrepreneur and you're wondering what would be of benefit to you in the health promotion you know wellness uh sector it might be that you know branching out into the school of public health is is a consideration for you um the other thing i would say is yeah the business side and the marketing side, those infrastructure and marketing is absolutely paramount. You know, PT schools not, they don't teach us anything about those. Maybe a little bit now, but not, not 20, 25 years ago. Um, so I think that my charge to the profession and anyone who's listening would be that PT education must change. We're not evolving, I think, quick enough to become the kind of frontline healthcare workers that is absolutely necessary if we want this profession to continue and to grow and to evolve. Um, so many people, and I know so many wonderful, you know, people who are teaching, um, professors um, all the way, you know, to adjunct and in between who understand that the curricula there, it's absolutely packed. You can't even take this index card and wedge a single like lecture in, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Like, all the classes are set and there's no room for anything else but is it really preparing you know is the pt curriculum like we have set that's so super packed that you can't get the index card of a, of a course or lecture in there is that really direction we need to be going because if we look at other professions just take chiropractic for example look at the growth in their profession um, the membership in their state and national associations 
you know, is is overwhelming compared to ours, which can be like a paltry 22%. Um, that's not a lot of professional involvement and support of our professional organizations that would help propel us into the future. So, you know, that would be my charge. PT education has to change. We all need to be involved with our, you know, professional associations and trying to change from within. Originally, I thought I could change from the outside in, but you that rarely happens, right? You've got to get, get in there and get your hands dirty and sometimes be involved in a system that's broken in order to change it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. instead of thinking that we can push change from the bottom from the up or the outside. top down, you know, right, right. Uh, from the outside in like that. Cool. So that was a long-winded answer. So No, it was great. I really appreciate <laughs> the conversation. Are there any other thoughts you'd like to leave us with before we wind it down? Again, you know, if you're listening and, and you have a really strong desire to go in a direction that, you know, maybe your colleagues or the profession isn't going right now, um, and you feel in your heart that it will help you connect with other people to help them heal, to guide them towards healing and recovering, you know, their quality of life, then you're absolutely on the right path. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't. I think that was it Mark Twain that said, um, you know, don't allow people to belittle or marginalize your dreams or your blueprints, your imagination, because small people will always do that. But great people will always make you feel like you can be great too. So don't let anybody tell you that you can't. And if they do, as in Sturdy's case, as in my case, most of the time that's going to happen, they're going to tell you you can't. Then you know what? Seek out a mentor, you know, um, whomever that might be, you know, maybe you, um, it, it's not, it does not necessarily us talking to you right now, but find a mentor that can help you um, find the confidence and the courage and the, and the concrete skill set to accomplish, uh, you know, what you need. PTs have a giant learning curve to undergo really as a profession in order to really help folks understand the root cause of our issues, whether it's in running our business or whether it's in our own self-care and health care. Um, so I would just encourage you and just, you know, let you know that you can. If I can do it with all that quagmire of stuff and being a female, which is always harder, then you can do it too. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Garner. Appreciate appreciate the conversation. Really appreciate your insights. Thanks for, for sharing and being here today. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's um it's been um kind of soul stirring, you know, uh, to talk about my story. You don't always sit down and and give yourself that much time to think about it. So I'd encourage everybody to do that, you know, circle back, revisit your heart story. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening.